This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? My guest today is Dr. Michael Gilmore. Michael is a professor of New Testament and English literature at Providence University College. He writes and teaches on animal ethics and has published three books on popular music, two of which are the subject of our conversation today, Bob Dylan. Michael, welcome to Geek 4. Good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So take me back. When does young Michael Gilmore first hear Bob Dylan? I I think I was about uh, 12, maybe 13 years old. Um, Around that time, of course, Dylan, I was in Dylan's gospel period. That was the first time that I was hearing him. Um, it was a friend that introduced me to him first time, and I think the first album I bought, which was soon after that, was the first Greatest Hits collection. Um, and that album, that I, I, once I heard that, I was hooked. So that was all the big hits from the, the 1960s uh, that were on that album. And, so, and I've been listening to it ever since, so going on 40 plus years, I guess, which is hard to believe. <laughs> That first greatest hits. I mean, that's that's what I first heard too, and it was it was the song "Everybody Must Get Stoned." That I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. <laughs> what? My friend Sean's dad used to play that song. We were like, "This is so weird." What was it that that grabbed you? That that kind of made you made you want to listen more? I think I, I liked it on a musical level. I don't know anything about music formally, but I but I really liked the the attitude of the. Um, of, of, of the singer, I liked the, the mystery and, and almost the oracular quality of the lyrics. He was talking about something that I didn't fully understand, and somehow that was was enticing. It sort of drew me in. But there's a, there's there's layers and layers behind these songs, um, and I'm just scratching the surface, and I want to get deeper and try to understand them. And it never, never did. I'm still looking for the answers to what those songs mean, but I, I absolutely find them. Um, enticing three books later you're still yeah, looking still, for answers still looking. The, the answers are still blown in the wind yeah. as far as i'm concerned so <laughs> can i read a couple lines from one of his books absolutely i often get asked that question what is it about dylan you like i can never answer the question so i, I had a hunch you were going to go that direction but um dylan wrote a memoir in uh, uh published in 2004 called chronicles and, th- and these words kind of, I just love this line, this, these sentences, but New York was cold, muffled, and mysterious, the capital of the world. On 7th Street, I passed the building where Walt Whitman had lived and worked. I paused momentarily, imagining him printing away and singing the true song of his soul. I had stood outside of Poe's house on 3rd Street, too, and had done the same thing, staring mournfully up at the windows. The city was like some uncarved block without any name or shape, and it showed no favoritism. Everything was always new, always changing. It was never the same old crowd upon the streets. And that idea of the crowd that just passes by um, Walt Whitman's house or Edgar Allan Poe's house and doesn't actually see what's going on, but the artist stops on the sidewalk and looks and sees things that no one else sees. Uh, and that's that's the kind of feeling I've had with Dylan all along. Mm. He's seen something, he's hearing something, he's experiencing something that I don't know quite what it is, but I want it. And I, and I kind of trust him as a kind of muse to get me somewhere, wherever it is. You mentioned uh, the time that you started listening. He was in his gospel period. Mm-hmm. 
Dylan definitely has these distinct periods and he has reinvented himself many times over, famously going electric and, and the kind of backlash that, that happened about that. Talk to me about the periods. How do you understand his, his periods and what he's doing? Yeah, the, the constant state of reinvention, which, which is also one of the appeals of, of his art, uh, that it doesn't stand still very long. Um, more recently, he's, he's gone back. He's done three albums. One of them, a three-album set of, of, of American standards, uh, Frank Sinatra kind of stuff. Um, and they're, they're wonderful. His band is wonderful, and, and he's interpreting these songs. Um, there was a country phase. He sang with Johnny Cash in the late, uh, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's in some level, it may be for Dylan, it's a little bit of a, an exploration of American musical history. He's, so he's, he's done folk, he's done country, uh, um, he's done rock and roll, uh, he's done standards. Um, he's even done a Christmas album, which is very odd for a Jew to do a Christmas album. But very sincere. Uh, it's even it's funny. It's witty. It's got a very festive feel to it. So, so I think on some level, um, it's Dylan exploring the musical roots, um, and he has a an appreciation, I think, and, and, a, and a knowledge of the music that, that very few uh, active artists do. If you've if you've ever heard his uh, radio show, um, I've done on a hundred plus episodes of a show called Theme Time Radio. Um, and it's just an education in American music. It's just absolutely wonderful and playing songs that are very obscure. And um, so I, I, I've often thought of those, those, those periods of his music, those, those dramatic transitions sort of in that light, that, that he's, he's just going to go down another road and see what he finds. When he, and then he might come back. And even um, earlier this summer, the, the latest album came out, uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. And, and, he, and he really does have that feel that he's still exploring and one interesting thing about that album uh, is, is, is the constant references to other musicians and artists. If you go to just go all the way through Rough and Rowdy Ways, he must list a hundred different musicians. And it, it just um, captures something about this, uh, this love of music and this, uh, this uh, uh, insatiable appetite to learn more, learn more about it and, and to listen to those muses that are, that are within those, those old records. And on some level, it speaks to his elusiveness as, you know, to pin down because of that huge network of, of, of artists that he's drawing on. Like Dylan's really hard to figure out. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and it's it, trying to interpret the lyrics or trying to, to make sense of his musical choices. Sometimes it's, it's endlessly mysterious. And, and I think the bibliography alone sort of attests to that no end of biographies about the man uh, trying to figure out what, what's the key to interpreting him. And, and there must be a little bit of, of uh, playfulness there on his part too, or mischievous. Uh, he doesn't do interviews like most celebrities do, or very rarely does. And, and that just lends to the, um, the, the masking that, uh, that, go, that, that, that some of this is by design, I think. It has to be. I think of like the few interviews that I've seen uh, that he's done. There definitely seems to be an impish quality. Like he enjoys, mm -hmm. he enjoys playing with the idea of persona that keeps people guessing. A nice little illustration of that is in the mid seventies, Turkey did the, what's called the Thunder Rolling Review tour. And, and during those concerts, he, uh, he wore face paint, which was very odd because he, uh, so he'd have white, white, uh, makeup on and so it's it's uh suggested maybe that he's sort of hiding his identity somewhere behind the mask mm. um, and at that time he was even making a film a really terrible film called Ronaldo and Clara 
Um, but he, in the film that, that was included all kinds of shots of the tour, uh, he was uh, he was playing a character named Ronaldo, not. And there's another uh, Ronnie Hawkins, the musician Ronnie Hawkins, was playing Bob Dylan <laughs> in the film. So it's it, 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 and even of course Bob Dylan is even his real name. And so so there's these layers of misdirection uh, and impishness is a good word for that too. It, it, it's a real playful, um, evasive uh, uh, quality to to almost everything that he does. When did you first see Dylan in concert, and what was that experience like for you? I think it was it was uh, 1990 or 91, so it was a, a long after I discovered the records. Uh, I was it was in Thunder Bay, which is in the, the north end of Highway 61, so that had a nice kind of a poetic ring to it. But it was a, a wonderful experience, and the highlight of the, the highlight of the concert, as of that concert, it, uh, was "Tangled Up in Blue," uh, which is one of one of my favorite songs from uh, Blowing the Tracks. But I just remember it was that the first time you kind of see the this, I created almost this mythical character in my head by that point. And then to actually see him walk on stage was just wonderful. Yeah. And it was still, he was still playing guitar. He doesn't play guitar as often anymore, presumably because of arthritis. But, uh, uh, but I did this classic Dylan with an acoustic guitar and, and a harmonica. So all good, all good. It reminds me of my first experience. I've only seen Dylan once, and it was a, a number of years ago when he was here in Winnipeg, and Mark Knopfler was the, the, other, the other act. And he was not playing guitar. I think he may have played guitar for one or two songs. He was mostly on piano. And it was interesting because I, I compare it in my in my mind to Leonard Cohen, who I, I've seen twice now, and, and I think has a similar lyrical quality, like that, that he's an artist. He is an artist that is unique. And so I, I always tend to to link Cohen and Dylan. And the Leonard Cohen concert that i that i'd seen right before this um he did like all the old standards and you know it was like he didn't have a new album out of the time it was a little bit you know in between albums right after his manager stole all his money and so it was just like a here is kind of the best of of, of leonard cohen and with the exception of a couple like obscure songs off you know the, the the middle year albums he did almost every song i wanted to hear in a recognizable way dylan <laughs> <laughs> He was two verses into into Tangled Up in Blue before I realized it was Tangled Up in Blue. Like he was just reinventing. Yes, yes. And just enjoy. And he didn't engage with the audience much, but he he did some standard songs, some Dylan songs, but not in a way that like you could easily just jump in and sing along. It was it was clear he was reinventing even that. You need to read the newspaper the next day to figure out what was the song list. <laughs> yeah. And I, more recent years, I've started cheating by going to the websites to find out what, what did he do in the last city? Is there going to be any replication of the song list? But even there, you're not safe either because he does tend to shake up the, uh, the set list night to night too. Uh, so it, it does speak well to his bands though, I guess, that are able to figure out what he's going to do on any given night. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is that frustrating quality. We want to hear, we want to hear the record sometimes and, and we're in, we won't get that at a Dylan concert for sure. <laughs> no, you mentioned he was making this terrible movie. He has dipped into acting on occasion. Mm -hmm. How does that, how does that work for you in terms of trying to figure him out? Like, you know, the choices that he makes in roles. Cause I mean, he, he seems like he's somebody who could definitely be in more movies if he wanted to be, who isn't going to cast Bob Dylan. Um, but he seems to be very selective yet 
willing to step into that world. Yeah, and of course, he won an Academy Award, too, for the uh, Michael Douglas film, is it Wonder Boys, I think? Wonder Boys, that's a great song. Great song, Things Have Changed, is a, is a wonderful yes. song. Um, I, and I wonder if there's maybe a bit of a marriage between the kind of the, 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 the cinematic quality of some of his songs seems to, and maybe, maybe that's what appeals to him, is he's trying to tell sometimes these very broad epic stories and in, 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 in if like a film can do it, of course, in ways that he that a song mm -hmm. have, but there's a resemblance somehow between the two. Yeah, very selective roles like um, Sam Peckinpah's uh, Pat, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, um, and interesting, he plays a character named Alias. And so there's another example of that masking tendencies. And even, even there, he's still hiding, even in the context of the film. Uh, but yeah, he does have a, a certain charisma that seems to work on screen. I really enjoy Masked and Anonymous, uh, which Dylan uh, had a much bigger part in, in terms of creating the film and playing it. Not and he and just brilliant actors. I mean, John Goodman. You know, I just love to see those two on screen together. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I always could wonder if, if he, uh, in another life, that he would probably have enjoyed making films. Ronaldo and Clara just seem to be. Uh, it's overly ambitious and it never, never seemed to work. But we could imagine that he really enjoyed the process. With a good director, he might be better. Then there's the the film kind of about him where multiple people play Bob Dylan. Oh, yes. I'm not there. Yeah. And to have a woman, Kate Blanchett, playing Bob Dylan or having a child or uh, it's just it's just brilliant, that film. I, 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 and I, and that, that really works for me, that, it, that, that there is no single Bob Dylan. There's this, this, this character that, it, that, that is a shapeshifter of sorts, and it takes five or six actors to try to capture anything about him. Absolutely wonderful film. Uh, yeah, and that and that, that that really is a nice metaphor of, of the challenge of, of trying to interpret Dylan. Let's talk albums here. Okay, you're picking a favorite album for you. What what are you what are you leaning towards? It, it would really change, I think, day to day, and <laughs> depends on the mood a little bit. Okay, certainly. well, today, <laughs> certainly, Blood on the Tracks will be there. Uh, Blonde on Blonde will be there. Highway 61 Revisited will be there. I really like Tempest from 2012, which many thought uh, might have been the last Dylan album. Nice symmetry between um, uh, Shakespeare's last play, The Tempest. and then, uh -huh. So people have wondered whether Dylan was maybe thinking about retiring at that point. Um, I really like this new album, Rough and Rowdy Ways. It, it, uh, I it, haven't spent a lot of time with it yet, but uh, I could imagine that having a long shelf life where people uh hard to say um uh i really like uh street legal a lot of people don't like that one because it's the first time he's, he's introducing gospel singers and some found that just a bit of a strange mix but but somehow i that works for me i really enjoy that song uh, or that album um yeah so i'm kind of i'm i'm one of those uh I really don't have a single favorite because it really does shift day-to-day, uh, -day, week to week. <laughs> and I mean, what you described, the, the albums that you just named, cover such a variety of periods. And that's the thing about Dylan that I find so so amazing is, you know, there are just such different expressions within his body of work. You don't typically find that level of recreation. Very true. And, and at the same time, a real evolution in terms of his voice. And so the, 
the music of the, of the 2000s is so remarkably different than the music of the 60s. And, and so you have the, that evolution of, of musical style that we talked about earlier. Then you have the voice. It's just, uh, that's a lot of cigarettes and that's a lot of singing. And, uh, it just, there's a, there's a, he sounded like an old man when he was in his 20s. And now that he is an old man, he, uh, it, he's just grown into that voice and it's deepened and has such texture. Um, uh, it's, it's just, it's just fun. He has the wisdom of ages somehow carried in that voice. Yes. But if you had told me, you know, the, the, the 14 year old kid listening to everybody must get stoned <laughs> guy who sings, this is also going to do Sinatra songs. Like that's, that's not what I would imagine his vocal range is. But he, I mean, even on that first greatest hits albums, the difference between his vocal quality in lay, lady lay. Yes. And, and subterranean homesick blues, like, People joke about the Bob Dylan voice. It's very distinct, but there is some range there that I don't think people always appreciate. And, and, and certainly some of it in the early days was partly mimicry too. He was trying to capture something of the Woody Guthrie, uh, Pete Seeger crowd in his mm-hmm. voice. And um, yeah, Lay 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 takes this, this very smooth quality, maybe influenced a little bit by some of the country Western singers. Um, that he was listening to around that time. Uh, yeah, but he, 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 I think there's a skill level there that's maybe underappreciated. And especially in our auto-tuned world. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a quality there about the, um, the, the, the fact of his endless touring too is, is probably something that, I, that I'm not a singer, but I imagine singers would appreciate. He's going to be turning 80 next spring and think that he's still doing this. I mean, when COVID permitting, but presumably he'll be back on the road. I mean, he's, he's able to. <laughs> COVID permitting. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Will you see him again, COVID permitting? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I've eight, eight or nine times I've seen him now. And I, yeah, I will. I would never turn down an opportunity to see a, to see a Dylan concert. They're not always, they're not always as polished as, as uh, uh, other performers, but it's just the experience of being, being in, being in the presence of, of the man is just, reward enough let's leave aside the the electric concert where he goes electric is there a dylan moment you wish you had been there for oh interesting um i kind of like the 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 1985 the live aid concert dylan closed out the show uh he had ronnie wood and keith richards from the rolling stones playing guitar with him it was it was absolutely terrible because uh, if, uh, all three of them were it appeared to be rather drunk. Uh, guitar strings were breaking; they were out of tune. <laughs> As the story goes, they they couldn't hear anything partly because of the monitors, because I guess they were gearing up for a, the whole. All the performers were going to come on stage at the very end, and, and they were all behind them, so they couldn't hear anything. So it, it sounded like well, it was I saw it on TV, but it was a train wreck of a, of a performance. But but. Something about that, that live aid, just to have been there would have been a pretty special moment. In terms of, of, of celebrated concerts, uh, 1979 San Francisco at the Warfield Theater, when Slow Trade Coming first came out. I'm not a huge fan of the gospel music period, but I but those concerts apparently were, were pretty special in terms of uh, Dylan's voice and the band. Uh, so to see something around that era would have been pretty fun too. There are so many great choices. Yeah, yeah, yes, that would be a long list. (laughs) So I'm curious, some of the guests that I've had on are people who have turned their 
passions, their geekery into scholarly pursuits, uh, because that's what some of us are. How has it been working on Dylan over the years? It's been very fun. I, I, um, I, I, when I was at university, at different points along the way, I, 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 I would take advantage of the libraries at the different schools that I was at. And, uh, and I'd pull off, off the shelves anything they had on Dylan. It was just a hobby. It was just something to kind of do on the side. Um, but then I, I remember uh, in Montreal, I, I came across, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Stephen Scobie's alias Bob Dylan. Uh, Scobie's an English, or retired, I think now, but English prop University of Victoria. And that's the first time I found a, a, a serious academic study of Dylan's writing. Um, uh, lots of fan, fan commentary on the, on, on the music, of course, and lots of biographies. But this was a serious academic work by a, by a respected scholar. And that was sort of the first time that the thought came into my mind that maybe there's something to this. And I was working on religious studies at the time, and, and that it also caught my attention that there's a lot of religious content in Dylan's writing, and not uh, not a lot of attention um, had been given to it. And so I, it, when I finally graduated, the thinking was, um, I'm just going to indulge. I'm going to I'm going to celebrate finishing school with just a little bit of a, a fun throwaway project. Like I, I wasn't, wasn't thinking about studying Dylan as a career. So I, I, I worked on, on, on uh, the first project and it ended up, and then, I, then suddenly I'm getting emails, want to do another one? <laughs> and, and, and it just kind of snowballed into something that's been, that's been sort of every once in a while, I pick up the topic again and return to it. Um, so it's, it's, it has, I use, actually used the word hobby in the first book and then it, uh, um, and it, but then it sort of became hobby slash um, second job, you know, not my day job, but it's my kind of, uh, I don't know, just something to do in the evenings and weekends kind of thing. But it's, but it's sort of work, worked into my career in very unexpected ways. So It's your side hustle. Side hustle. That's the good phrase. That's the phrase I'm looking for there. You've done three books on music, two specifically on Dylan. Is there any point where you're like, I just can't listen to any more Bob Dylan? Or is it is Dylan eclectic enough that you can always switch up and there's it's never work? It's, a, it's actually a bit of a bit of both. There are times when I, I want to stop I want to stop thinking about Dylan and stop trying to write stuff on Dylan. So I, I I have put it down at different points and just moved on to other topics. Um but, but, it, but I've never stopped listening to it, though. So I'm always, I've always got something when I'm in the car playing. Or, uh, so that, uh, so I'd say musically, Dylan is always there. Every time there's a new book that comes out, chapters, I'm the first one to buy it. And, and that sort of keeps, keeps my interest up. But then every, every once in a while, there'll be a project that comes along or just some idea that'll pop into my head and I want to see if I can make something of it. And so it's a bit of both. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Do you mind a little quick uh, back and forth question and answer about other geeky topics? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Michael, what is your most treasured piece of geeky memorabilia or merchandise? It can be anything. It can be anything. Uh, anything. I'm going to show it to you. Okay. I happen to have it right here. I didn't know you were going to ask the question, but this is, it, so I'm still on Bob Dylan, but this is uh, Bob Dylan launched a line of whiskey uh, two two years ago. It's it's not widely available in Canada. Oh, I drove all the way to Hibbing, Minnesota, just to buy that bottle, <laughs> and I even emptied it. I even emptied it just for you, so you could see that in the back on the bottom of the label, 
I don't think you can see it, yes. but it's but he signed it, not actually his. It's not original signature, but yeah. So I, I that's my my geeky member of you. What was the whiskey any good? It's Tennessee bourbon, and it's wonderful. And I and I just said it's not a good thing. Oh, oh, well, you know, maybe post COVID, we we should we should do a road trip. We'll do a road trip together. Let's do it. All right. If you were hired to compile a new Bob Dylan's greatest hits. What song would you include that would surprise people? Uh, Girl from the Red River Shore, which is on one of the bootleg uh, series that came out in 2006, I think it was. Uh, I don't think enough people have heard it. All right. Yeah, and being from Winnipeg, Red River Shore has a nice appeal to it. <laughs> but it's, it is a masterpiece that he left off. Um, I think it was the uh, 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 Modern Times album. Uh, why he left it on the cutting room floor, uh, I have no idea, because it, it is just an unbelievably beautiful uh, song. Is there something that people think you would be a geek for, but for whatever reason, you could just never get into it? Um, musically, I mean, there's lots of music that I don't particularly like. I don't like The Doors, for instance, but everybody thinks, because I like the 60s, I must be a fan of of all the music of the 60s. You must like all of the 60s. <laughs> yeah, or if I, like, if I like Dylan, it must mean I like all folk music. Uh, I really don't. Uh, so there's a, uh, and, and almost anything written after the 1970s, I don't particularly like. <laughs> so I really am kind of retro in my, in my ways. Dylan aside, what is the best concert you've ever seen? I liked Guns N' Roses. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, I liked Kiss. They were here in Winnipeg in the late 90s. That was pretty good. A little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, I liked Leonard Cohen. I think I was probably at the same concert you were. That first one, when he came, when he did his initial run, like before he had another album to sell, like, it was beautiful. Oh, it was it was magical. There was something very special about that. Yeah, so that... Yeah, those, those those are good. That's a good memory. Yeah, yeah. I got, got, got a chance to see him before, before uh, he passed. I know lots of people have done Hallelujah, but Leonard doing it that first con that was church. Yeah, <laughs> that was church. Absolutely. All right, where can people find you on social media if they're so inclined? Twitter at Michael Michael J Gilmore. Feel free to come say hello on Facebook on Instagram. I'll link to that in the show notes. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's been fun. Always good to talk to you. It's been too long, sir. Yes, let's catch up some other time. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.